You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Dr. Fermi Okunlami is an assistant professor of family medicine at the University of Michigan, where he also serves as the director of student accessibility and accommodation services and oversees the adaptive sports and fitness program. He was recently appointed to the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. Dr. O is also presenting at the Move United Education Conference this week in Louisville, Kentucky. Let's chat with him. So, Dr. O, I thought we I thought we would start by just talking a little bit about you first, and then I definitely want to talk about what you're doing at the University of Michigan. But uh, so, so t- tell me a little bit about your life experience, and particularly maybe how you how c- sports connected with your life experience. Sure. Thanks, Sean. So originally, I'm from Nigeria. Both of my parents were physicians. They came to this country when I was young, and we moved to Maryland. And I was just telling this story the other day. Uh, The first trophy I ever received in sports was the Most Improved Player Award at the Good Luck Center Basketball Gym. Now, you laughed because I'm sure that most people know what it means when you get the Most Improved Player Award. So I certainly had a lot of heart and I tried my best and I did very well in that first year of playing organized sports in third grade when I played basketball. And so that was my introduction to sports. And I will admit that I was not very good at all. But right. after that, I, I was given opportunity to to play more sports and more sports. And by the time I got to high school, I was you know varsity level in basketball, soccer, lacrosse, track, um, and, and loved all sports. Yeah, and and you can love sports without necessarily being good at it. I mean, I'm I'm a testament to that too, right? I I played on a number of teams and sat on a number of benches as well. <laughs> oh, and I'm I'm sitting on a lot more benches now than I I thought that I would throughout my life. But it's it's been a very humbling experience, quite honestly, going from the world of able-bodied sport where I felt as though I achieved a high level, and now coming to para sport where I think many people have this misconception that adaptive sports are easy. And even though I was an Olympic level athlete, by the time I you know, got to the, the pinnacle of my career, I still have not gotten to an Olympic Paralympic level for parasport. And that's just because I, I have not put the time in, I have not put the work in. And even if I did that, there's no guarantee. But yeah, parasport is great. And being introduced to that later on in my life has been sort of this return to sport, but I feel like I might be jumping ahead of it. Yeah, and and so you, you talked about um, basketball being one of them, but but um, what sports would, did you did you reach the pinnacle of? What, what what sports were you competing at a at a high level? Yeah, so I would have probably thought that soccer was my number one sport. So I played mm-hmm. soccer on a travel team. You know, ever since elementary school, I was on the varsity team at my high school, starting from my sophomore year. And you know, I did some of the Olympic development type of programs that people did in their communities, ODP. But when it came to college, so I was a, a three-letter varsity letter winner in high school in basketball, mm-hmm. soccer, and track. I played lacrosse my freshman year of high school, but then transitioned to track my sophomore year. And by the end of my high school career, while I thought soccer was my number one sport, I was getting a lot more offers and letters from track and field. Mm-hmm. Now, 
my Nigerian immigrant parents never wanted sports to be the focus of our lives anyway. Sports was just something that we had a chance to do in addition to our academics and other extracurriculars. And so I was not recruited in the traditional sense that many people you know, come out of high school and they get an offer and they sign. I, I went to school for school and then was fortunate to have an opportunity to then play sports. And so I ended up going to Stanford University for undergrad and was what they called a recruited walk-on for the track team. Yeah. And there I ended up you know, staying all four years on the track team, was captain of the track team my last two years, achieved academic All-American status, and considered taking my last year after graduating off to then train for the Olympics. That would have been the 20, 2008 Olympics at that point. Mm -hmm. But my my parents had different plans, and I went directly <laughs> to medical school instead of taking any time off. Uh, and so do you blame your parents or do you do you thank your parents? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that it's it's easy for me to quote unquote blame my parents. You know, but there's no guarantee that I would have made it very far in Olympic trials anyway, right? So that's right, my story right. where I can say, oh, well, I was going to take some time off and train for the Olympics, but I went to med school instead. I, I'll be honest, realistically, would I have made the Olympic team based on where I was at the end of my collegiate career? I, I did not. I was not favored, right? Now I considered competing for Nigeria because I have dual citizenship. And that's something I could have looked into, whether I wanted to compete for Nigeria or for the States. Um, but you know, I, I'd made junior nationals and was one spot away for, from qualifying for the world championships. And that time it was after my freshman year. And so that would have been Grosseto, Italy is where the world championships for junior nationals, junior worlds were. Um, and that's where sort of each year, quite honestly, as I competed in sport, I thought that I was going to quit. So after my freshman year, I thought this is too much. I'm not that great. I'm going to quit. But I ended up qualifying for junior nationals and did well. After my sophomore year, I thought this is too much work. I've got pre-med and trying to be a physician and I can't do it. But then I got elected team captain my junior year. So there is always something that kept me in. But I am I feel indebted to my parents for the opportunity to play sport, but also for them keeping academics as sort of the primary driver. And I think we were able to then find a, a good balance of the two throughout my life. Yeah, absolutely. So they they helped you keep the eyes on the prize a little bit there. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and 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 I don't know, like if if you're like me or anybody else, but it, you know, you always have those like what if conversations or what if thoughts, right? So <laughs> what oh. what if? <laughs> oh, and 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 my what ifs even go beyond track because so throughout my life, you know, being from Nigeria, my family didn't play American football, so we played. Mm -hmm football right soccer yep. and i never and never really got hooked on football at any point throughout my life the, the little private school i went to in south bend from fourth grade to eighth grade didn't have a football team when i was there and so i didn't play football at school growing up but by the time i got to high school i mean i wasn't a small individual and i had you know certain you know physical attributes that would have lent themselves well to to many sports and the coaches in high school started asking me to play football, but it was during soccer season. And as I said, I thought that soccer was my sport. So I didn't even give it you know, another thought. By the time I got to college, coaches were still asking me. And actually, Jim Harbaugh was the coach at Stanford when I was there and came up to me in the weight room one day and asked me if I wanted to, to try out for the football team. And once again, I actually said, no, thank you. So now when I think back to the coulda, woulda, shouldas, you know, I, I didn't truly understand what sort of a 
icon football was in this country. And I love college football now. My son, who is almost 12, is absolutely not playing football. But I know that had I been introduced to football in an elementary school or high school or even college, I, I probably would have played much longer in my life. And so that's that's what those coulda, woulda, shouldas are. There's no guarantee of what I would have done, but I I have reason to believe I may have been decent. <laughs> and and so since since you did decide to kind of put that off to the side a little bit and focus on the academics. Um, obviously, since your parents are physicians, did you, was that kind of just an important part of, you know, obviously their identity, so that your identity as well? I mean, how did you, how did you decide that it's what you wanted to like study medicine and, and pursue that side of, of the academic world? So I'm the second of two children. And so my sister is about two and a half years older than me. Mm-hmm. And we grew up in the same house with the same parents. And she ended up becoming a lawyer and I became a physician. And so I tell people that while my parents' influence was absolutely there, it doesn't always mean that that influence leads you to do the same thing. So I think my sister started to see what the the world of medicine was like and thought, this is not for me. And I saw it and was fascinated by it. I, I was always interested in how we could use our mind or our hands to then affect change in someone's life in some way. And that just seemed fascinating to me, especially as you know, as a Christian, I I believe that the Lord has a plan for all of us, but that He uses us as vessels through which to do His work. And that's what I felt I saw my parents doing because they took care of critically ill children from you know premature newborns all the way up until critically ill eighteen year olds. And so I saw sort of this gamut of critical care that my parents were doing and the lives that were being impacted. And so. I was fascinated by it, and I think I had an opportunity to see it, and I then was interested and pursued it. But no, they they never pressured me. They didn't say that this is all that you could do. I think that there's another joke many immigrant families talk about. You can either be a doctor or an engineer or maybe a lawyer, and those are the three professions that immigrant families and Nigerian families in particular joke about. But I, I do know that my parents would have supported whatever professional career I chose. Now, I say that because... <clears throat> I say that because it was absolutely expected that I was going to then get some sort of graduate degree. So finishing college, they call it your first degree. That's what they call it. They say, oh, after your first degree, which means that there's an assumption of at least a second, if not third. <laughs> right. You can study whatever, but you're <laughs> but you're going to study it at a, at a higher level than, than just the undergraduate or first degree. <laughs> absolutely. And um, with sports, you know, how is sports still kind of connected in, the, in in your life, either indirect, indirectly or directly? Yeah, so I, I ended up, so I finished undergrad, went to medical school, matched into orthopedic surgery residency. And a lot of people think of orthopedics as sort of the jocks of medicine. Now, I, I don't like that stereotype, but I do think that for many reasons, a lot of individuals that choose going into that field value sort of, you know, physical activity and how the body works and making sure that we are still able to allow someone to then optimize the the movements of their body to be able to either you know play sport at a high level or live life you know efficiently and so I, I played sports throughout med school as well I played a lot of intramural sports in medical school and stayed active and saw that sport was more than quote unquote just sport and it wasn't just something that got you active and physically fit 
but I learned so many life lessons from playing sports. I made so many friends from playing sports. Mm -hmm. I stayed more focused on at school because I had to make sure that I was, you know, ready for morning weights, ready for afternoon practice, ready for travel and competitions. You know, we had to then take tests on the road. And I was much more efficient and focused in my academics when I had a very sort of strict travel and competition schedule for, for the sports that we were playing. And so I saw you know, what those opportunities brought me. And this is coming from a, a very privileged background. I've seen individuals that don't have the same opportunity and privilege, mm -hmm. who sport is what allows them to, to get away from whatever sort of mm -hmm. home situation may not be the most, you know, supportive or healthy, you know, gives them access to other resources that they may not have otherwise had and being able to pay for school and get access to an education. And so sport is, is wonderful. And that was something that, I was fortunate to be able to benefit from the good aspects of sport as well, without it taking over my life in a way that I, I felt as though became, you know, had a sort of a deleterious impact. And I, I didn't feel that way. And so, you know, that's that was why throughout my life, I, I have had sport in, involved in it. And then even after I, I experienced my own spinal cord injury during my orthopedic surgery residency, that was sort of the next step of seeing how much access I had had to support my entire life, but that I now saw that many individuals don't have merely on the basis of disability. And I saw how inaccessible the healthcare system was as a physician with a disability, mm -hmm. but then I saw how inaccessible the sporting world was for those that don't have the benefit of having adaptive sports programs in their area. Yeah. And and you mentioned two two really important takeaways. One being that sport is the value of sport is different with every individual, you know, in terms of meeting them where they are and what they want to have that be the takeaway. So that's, that's, I think, a, an important thing. And then, and you mentioned exactly that, that the challenge of accessibility to sport, it, it, whether it's adaptive sports or, you know, you know parasport or, in, you know, able-bodied sports, you know, there is, there is, whether it's equipment or the cost associated with it, there, there's a, there's a barrier to act, to entry with anyone, but in parasport, the barrier is much higher because the costs are higher in, in general as well. Right. I mean, we say Absolutely. that it's 15 times more, you know, most on average adaptive sports equipment is 15 times uh, the, the cost of an able-bodied uh, equivalent. So regardless of that, what, what sport it might be. So that that barrier and accessibility is a big challenge that we all still face in this community and in this field and this space. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the fact I was embarrassed because so I had my injury. I then went to Chicago for inpatient rehab, which is now the Shirley Ryan Abilities Lab. It yep. was called the Rehab Institute of Chicago at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was during therapy and rehab that I was introduced to adaptive sport. I had never heard of it. Now, I, I have a hard time pausing now and thinking back, you know, 10 plus years and saying, did I really have no idea what these things were? Did I not know about the Paralympics? Could I, did I really miss all of this? And I, I don't think that I fully knew what adaptive sports were. And so I was introduced to wheelchair rugby. I was introduced to wheelchair mm -hmm. tennis, wheelchair basketball during my inpatient rehab. And that's when I then said, whoa, this I can still play sports and be active. I didn't even know these existed. And I felt guilty as a physician that took care of patients with disabilities that I had never been talking to my patients about what opportunities still existed for them to play sport. And so that really was a turning point for me, both personally and professionally, 
because personally it shows that I can still be an active uh, athlete. That mm-hmm. was one thing. And then professionally is that I saw an opportunity to then create that access for others where it didn't exist because I know what I had throughout my life being able to play sports and it, and it just wasn't, it wasn't right that individuals living with disabilities didn't have that equitable access. So it, it really was a turning point for me. And do you think it was just because there really wasn't education or information or resources or awareness available? Or do you think it was because, you know, we all put blinders on sometimes and can, you know, our, you know, maybe we think we can only take in so much information if, and, if, and if it doesn't relate to us at the time, then it's not relevant. And we just kind of push it off to the side of the brain. Or what do you think in terms of, you know, maybe even at least for you at the time? I, I can say that thinking back, to my life and my education and what things I had seen, adaptive sport outside of the Paralympic Games and outside of the Special Olympics and the Special Olympics movement, which I always make sure to tell people, the Paralympic movement and Special Olympics movement are both important things that have some overlaps, but are tend to be distinct populations. Mm-hmm. And many people that are not familiar with adaptive sport conflate the two. And they think that all Parasport is Special Olympics. Mm-hmm. And many people, that's what their understanding is of adaptive sport. And they they haven't even recognized that there are highly competitive Paralympic level athletes that are putting in just as much effort and competitive drive as uh, as an Olympian. And that there are individuals who could do both. You could be a, a, someone who's in the Special Olympics movement who is also a Paralympian, right? But the Paralympic movement is performance and outcomes-based sport, just like the Olympics are. The Special Olympics movement is not focused as much on performance and outcomes. It's more about access and opportunity. And and, and so that's, and they're important and they're good. And so I, I think that some people confuse those two, but mm-hmm. I'm sure I'd heard of the Special Olympics before my injury. I can't guarantee I knew about the Paralympics, but one thing is we know that just this past, you know, Tokyo 20, you know, you know, 2020, we had more media representation for Parasport than we'd ever had before. And so you're seeing it on mainstream television, you're seeing, you know, commercials about it, you're seeing athletes, you know, out there and demonstrating with their sport. So for me, I, I don't think I saw that growing up as much. I certainly know that I wasn't introduced to adaptive sports in school. And while we could learn to play all sorts of things like capture the flag and, you know, and tag and tetherball, we weren't being taught wheelchair basketball, sitting volleyball, goal ball. And, right. and that's something that I think is a, is a missed opportunity, which, you know, gets to some of the programming that we're doing in Michigan is feel as though we can use sport at any level to show what accessible and inclusive sport is and get more individuals participating in these sports, aware of these sports. Because we often say that if you're the only student or the only child in your community with a disability, right, and you want to play wheelchair basketball, for example, if we only have individuals with disabilities playing wheelchair basketball, that child is never going to have an opportunity to play MPE or gym on a team. But if we then allow some non-disabled individuals to then play as well, you now have a full team of people that can play. And it shows, you know, one of the phrases that we use in our program, which is not a perfect statement. It doesn't capture everything, but we say, if you can sit, you can play such that whether you use a sport chair or not, whether you use a wheelchair in your day to day or not, anyone can sit in a sport chair, learn to maneuver the sport chair 
and play a wheelchair sport. Mm -hmm. Just like you need to learn how to skate to play ice hockey, you need to learn to maneuver your sport chair to play a wheelchair sport. Now, we know that there are plenty of sports that are not wheelchair sports that are in parasport. And our goal is to really say that lots of people can play adaptive sports. So adaptive sports are not sports for people with disabilities. The way that we try to then pitch them is that they are sports that are inclusive of and accessible to more individuals. So more people can then be playing sport. And it just so happens that the individual with a disability may not be able to play some of the traditional quote unquote or you know able-bodied sport and that's that's simply because of the inaccessibility of those sports not because of the inability of that person to be an athlete and since you've kind of broached the subject about what you're doing at, at the university of michigan to, uh for our listeners tell me tell us a little bit about like you know, like when you came on board what your role is how you're how you are impacting programs and then Fourth question, I'm going to ask you all of these at once. What is your end goal? What, what, what would you like to see? What's your vision um, as you, as you, because um, you're doing, you know, some fabulous work. And, and so tell me a little, just walk us through all of that. Yeah. So after I had my injury and I was introduced to adaptive sport, I went back to where my family lived in Indiana. I got a master's degree in engineering, science, and technology entrepreneurship from Notre Dame and started to see problems differently, right? Like with that degree, I started to recognize that when we saw problems, some people see a problem and just see it as a barrier, right? And that's not their fault if that's where it stops. But other people may see a problem and try to automatically think about how they can create some sort of workaround or solution, right? The way that this master's degree started getting me thinking, started getting me thinking about sort of entrepreneurial ways to create solutions to problems that I never even knew existed before that right? Seeing life as I call it from the other side of the stethoscope as both physician and patient, which all physicians are someone's patient at some point. So I, I don't like this line that people draw that makes it seem like no doctors have disabilities. So, but coming in now on both sides of the stethoscope and seeing these problems from this lens of inaccessibility that I had not seen before, I realized that I was unintentionally complicit in this system of ableism that exists in the world. And so I then made a decision to focus a lot of my personal and professional time to creating equitable access to sport and fitness for people with and without disabilities. So when I you know, moved back to Indiana, I ended up working with the St. Joseph County Board of Health and started working on programs within our community there. I was appointed to one of our nonprofits called the River City Challenged Athletes which was the adaptive sports program in that community. I ended up playing and coaching the wheelchair basketball team and playing sled hockey. And so when I took my job at Michigan, I looked around Ann Arbor and said, this is an amazing academic institution, an amazing research institution. There's an amazing health system, a great VA, a great community. And there was no large adaptive sports footprint here. There was no intercollegiate adaptive sport. We had a program that was that was another Move United chapter. Now you may know that we have UMAZE. That's another yeah. Move United yeah. chapter, and and UMAZE had had started shortly before I I joined Michigan, and so we kind of put our heads together and said we need to do a better job of providing access for this community. And so what that now looks like is while I still have my my clinical appointments at the medical school, I'm an assistant professor of family medicine 
Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and Urology here at Michigan Medicine, and an Adjunct Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at UCLA. But then I'm the Director of Student Accessibility and Accommodation Services, which is where we have our Services for Students with Disabilities, mm-hmm. Academic Support and Access Partnerships, Testing Accommodation Centers, and then our Adaptive Sports and Fitness Program. And so what we've been able to then create here is we've got three, about to be four, competitive sports, wheelchair tennis, wheelchair basketball, paratrack and field, and we're about to then take on wheelchair rugby. So Detroit has a wheelchair rugby team that this next season will be our team. And then we partner with a local therapeutic riding organization to have para-equestrian. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the programmatic parts of the competitive sport that we have. But we go beyond that and try to say also that we want to get into the community. So we've got a student group made up of students with and without disabilities that are then disseminating parasport across our community. We've got a grant-funded a project funded by the Michigan Health Endowment Fund called our Adaptive Sport and Inclusive Recreation Initiative. This is where we have embedded adaptive sports into the PE curriculum of the public schools in Ann Arbor. So that means that as of two years ago, every single sixth grader in Ann Arbor Public Schools plays adaptive sports in gym class. And so, yes, that was we were very, very fortunate and we're excited actually to announce that just as of last week, we, we received another grant from the Community Health Services Department of our health system here. And we're going to be expanding that program to all of the middle school grades here in Ann Arbor, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and two middle schools in a neighboring city called Ypsilanti. So the goal, to, to, to jump to the case here, the goal for us is not just having Ann Arbor or Ypsilanti have adaptive sports in PE class, not just having the state of Michigan have adaptive sports in PE class, but to have the entire country have adaptive and inclusive sport within PE. And that's where we're really fortunate to talk about some of the work that we're beginning to do in partnership with Move United, because Move United has the amazing inclusive playbook that is trying to then help communities show them how they can make sure that you know they are more aware of ways that you can provide access, right? It's sort of a, a disability awareness that also leverages the power of sport. And so our our excitement is to be able to sort of work together with our Adaptive Sport and Inclusive Recreation Initiative and the Move United Inclusive Playbook to essentially partner and disseminate this knowledge all across the country. The Inclusive Playbook is essentially sort of like it starts off with sort of kindergartners type age information mm-hmm. up till about fifth, sixth grade. And then that's where our Adaptive Sport and Inclusive Recreation Initiative can sort of pick up there and, and continue actually providing the programming after the inclusive playbook has really taught the awareness and sort of has, has built a foundation, then we can come in with programming and say, and this is how you can continue to provide access for these, these students as they're going through their educational careers of being able to have sport. So the goal is that no matter what level, whether it's Paralympic level, recreational level, community level, that everyone should have access to sport. Everyone should have access to physical Absolutely. activity yeah. <laughs> and that every community sees that that's something that's important and isn't something that you need to wait for someone in your community to show up with a disability and to then demand it, but to recognize that that access can be done ahead of time as well. That's awesome. You're you're, you're preaching to the choir here for sure. <laughs> and, I, and I love the, the collegiate community connection because, you know, obviously there are a lot of universities, a lot of college campuses that 
you know, are somewhat insular and just focus on the college campus and the student body and the people that are there. But the fact that you're reaching out to the greater community and connecting what you're doing to the greater community is an awesome thing too. So so kudos to you on that. I do want to ask you a tough question though. So you talked about obviously some of the sports that you offer. Um, and this may, there might not be a there might not be a right answer to this, but I want to get your take on it. And in terms of like where adaptive sports often lies within college campuses, it's at you know schools or departments or programs outside of the athletic department. So I'd love your insights on that. So this is what one of my former bosses has called a spicy meatball. So, <laughs> I want to throw you at least one. <laughs> so you know. I will first pay homage to the the late Eli Wolf because Eli, I I will say is a trailblazer because the work that Eli began and continued and pioneered continues. And I feel very fortunate to have been able to cross paths with him during my career. And he has introduced me to individuals and to topics and that, that I, I hope to do a fraction of what Eli did in his 45 years in my life. And so the desire for NCAA inclusion is something that many of us have. And I, I want to make sure to then insert the fact that everything I just mentioned about our Michigan program is not a Dr. O thing. It is the result of an amazing team of individuals that we right. built around us, including Eric Resnick's and Chris Kelly and Chuck Aoki and the, the countless coaches and staff and students and student athletes and community members that have built this program with us. So while I'm very fortunate to have been, you know, part of the, you know, the the beginning of it uh, and founding it here at this institution, it, there's no way that this would have happened without all of those names and more. But what our goal is from the collegiate standpoint, at least, is to truly embed adaptive sports within the NCAA. Now, that is a tall order based on what the current NCAA rules are in terms of emerging sports status, but we truly believe that there are ways that we can then be more inclusive within the NCAA. And so your question about where adaptive sports programs are housed is is a sticky one because where the NCAA has not formally sanctioned parasport, many institutions are waiting for the NCAA to then say, you have to do this in order for them to do it. Now, we are very fortunate where we're positioned at Michigan that while we are not part of the athletic department, we absolutely have a wonderful relationship with our athletic department where we practice in the varsity track, we practice in the varsity tennis facility, we have our strength and conditioning in the varsity performance center. Mm -hmm. We've also been fortunate to be featured by our athletics department in many of their publications and in their marketing campaigns, and they've highlighted the work we've done. I had a wonderful meeting with one of our senior associate athletic directors and Jean Merrill, who is the director of inclusion at the NCAA, talking about ways that we can improve, you know, accessibility and inclusion for disabled student athletes. So I think that while a long-term goal would be true integration and recognizing that disabled athletes and non-disabled or able-bodied athletes should have equitable access in the same spaces, that is is a ways away, I think, in terms of the reality of that. But there are many things that can be done as steps along that process. And there are things that 
the wonderful sort of United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee is doing with this sort of sports sustainability think tank and the collegiate sort of parasport inclusion work that they're doing to try to then actually figure out how we can then do it better. So we had uh, an event for Women's March Madness this year where you may have seen some wheelchair basketball taking place during Women's March Madness. You may have also caught, if you check out the Drake relays in the track and field world, you may have caught that we had the first ever collegiate wheelchair racing national championship that was crowned there at Drake. And then next weekend, in fact, uh, May 20th weekend, you will find if you go down to Orlando, Florida, you will see the NCAA Division I, II, and three collegiate tennis nationals. That will be happening alongside the wheelchair tennis national championship final. So there are a few things that are being done to integrate parasport into the able-bodied sport landscape in the collegiate space, which is very promising. And there are lots of people from the USTA to the ITA to the USOPC and the NWBA that are working together to try to make this happen. And so, yes, that is the long-term goal, long-winded answer for the question. But the long-term goal is, is not separate but equal right? That's not what the goal is. The goal is not to have a separate entity that then is providing access, but is to provide access in a way that is equitable. And it, it, this could be a, a difficult question for some, because what I'm not suggesting is that everything always has to be together, because there is utility in having a space, you know, for individuals that that are like-minded, that 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 have similar life experiences, similar sort of uh, trajectories. And so I think that some people have asked me this before, and they worry that if we try to strive for true inclusion, that some individuals with disabilities will be left behind. Mm -hmm. Because as of right now, the way that the collegiate space is looking at this is really from a high performance standpoint. So you've got individuals like Sam Grew and Hunter Woodall and, and, and individuals that can compete and participate on their able-bodied varsity teams with the same sort of level of metrics. But you have individuals that may never make it to a Paralympic Games, and they still deserve to have access. And the example we give is, you can watch NCAA commercials all day. They talk about how 99% of athletes are going to go pro in something other than sport. Right. And so mm -hmm. why it is that we create the sort of the the barrier to entry or the bar is set to include Paralympic athletes or para or adaptive athletes. You must be an ex, an elite athlete to be considered a varsity athlete at your college. Whereas there are plenty of varsity athletes at Division One schools that never win their conference, they never win their region, they never make it to nationals, let alone make an Olympic team. But all of them still have access. And so one of the things I definitely wanted to talk to you about uh, before we wrap up is just like, you know, what are you presenting at the conference? And so you'll be able to interact with a number of our member organizations around the country and other attendees. Uh, talk a little bit about your role and what you're talking about at the conference. So once again, we are very fortunate that we've got a wonderful team here at the University of Michigan. And my, my, my team has been able to sort of connect with some of the leaders at Move United to talk about how we can then advance the work of the inclusive playbook, advance the work of our, uh, specifically our adaptive sport and inclusive recreation initiative, which is the schools-based initiative where we've embedded adaptive sports in the PE curriculum. And so we're going to then sort of tag team and have the Move United team talk about the inclusive playbook. We'll have our team talk a bit about 
our adaptive sport and inclusive recreation initiative, and then we'll come together to talk about the future and what we're hoping to do. One of the things that I'd say we are also fortunate to be able to add is that just a few months ago, uh, President Biden announced his intent to appoint me to what's called the President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition. I saw that. So that is a council that many people may remember the sort of the President's Fitness Challenge that happened mm -hmm. back in elementary school. And so we are actually working to then revamp what that what that is. And so the National Fitness Foundation is sort of bringing us together. And one of the tasks of this of this new council, well, it's not a new council, but the new group of us that's on it, is to essentially bring that presidential sort of fitness, you know, challenge back into into circulation, but in a way that is much more accessible and inclusive. What mm. what it felt like to people in the past was you had the the children that were able to then make it and those that weren't. And rather than encouraging physical activity, it was actually somewhat it was difficult and it and it created some sort of a like an it othered the students that weren't able to do it. Right. You're right. It absolutely did in terms of, yeah, I mean, I, I hated pull-ups, always hated pull-ups growing up every time from the moment I was a kid to in the army, I hated pull-ups. <laughs> so yeah, you're like, I can't do pull-ups or I don't want to do pull-ups. So it's like, yeah, the isolation a little bit. Exactly. And so rather than, rather than making people feel isolated, we wanted to then say, no, the goal is to encourage everyone to be able to be physically active. And so it's sort of, you know, what is it that we can do to encourage that? And how can we make it accessible to everyone rather than making people feel like they're not they're not doing well? And so we've got the presidential youth fitness program, which is what we're now going to be focusing on. And we actually have our first meeting, you know, June 26th is when we're going to be meeting to talk about sort of how we can then revamp and revitalize this presidential youth fitness program. And I, I told the individuals that run this president's council that my goal my charge will be to then make sure we can bring the inclusive playbook partnered with our adaptive sport and inclusive recreation initiative and use that as sort of a template for what the rest of the nation can then use as the the next iteration of what that president's you know youth fitness program was and so fingers crossed that you know this move united you know conference is sort of the first opportunity for us to really, you know, start to demonstrate how we can then pull these two things together and work together. And I will take every opportunity I have in this council to continue to elevate that conversation. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to meet my other council members yet, but um, there's some there's some names on that list that I think will be able to help elevate this conversation should we all agree that this is something we want to focus on. I think that disability is often left out of conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that it's important to make sure people see that there's an entire population, and actually the largest minority population that we have, that has not been given access. And so while this is just one lane, right? And I, I sometimes people talk about, you know, the different needs that people have, and people say, you know, of all the needs in the world, why are you focusing on sports, right? Like people are hungry, people need that. I, say, I, I understand. And I'm, I'm not saying that playing sports and having physical activity is more important than a roof over your head or food on your, you know, on your table. But the social determinants of health usually impact the same populations of people. And so when those sort of social determinants create the haves and the have nots, our goal is at least to then take a piece that you can then do something about and do what we can about it, right? So it is not saying it is more important than other things, 
but it is just as important. It is something that needs to be then provided. And if you take it out of the, as I said, purely playing sport context, and you recognize that for the population of individuals with disabilities, we need just as much, if not more, access to physical fitness because we are likely predisposed to a more sedentary lifestyle because of, one, our own disability, and two, the inaccessibility of the world in which we live, as you said, creates this additional barrier to entry. Just like the equipment is more expensive to then play parasport, the lack of opportunities to play parasport within your community are there. The, the, the additional sort of complexity of being able to then, you know, find a team or have the resources or have the knowledge. A lot of people don't know about it. And then some that know about it don't know where to go to get it. And sometimes if you know where to go to get it, the people don't have the tools to be able to play it. And if you have the tools to play it, sometimes you then don't have the resource to sustain it. So there's just lots of levels where barriers exist. And we're hopeful that this partnership that we're trying to then forge between our program and Move United will be a launching pad and that we'll take that all the way, all the way to, to the White House and try to get more people paying attention as well. Awesome. And obviously, I want to make sure that because you have a wonderful, you and the entire team that you mentioned at the University of Michigan have a wonderful um, model that I think other, you know, colleges, uh, universities, institutions could replicate. So I want to make sure that I, I ask, like, how do people learn more? Um, you know, uh, how do people connect with what you're doing uh, in order to be able to hopefully replicate this on a larger scale? I will first give credit where credit is due. I talked about the amazing team we have here at Michigan, but I also want to mention some other folks like Akil Whitehead, who now is working with LA28. Akil was uh, formerly with San Diego State, the Aztecs out in California. And when San Diego State was building their collegiate adaptive sports program, Akil let me see his strategic plan. And then there's a, a gentleman by the name of Peter Pashik, who's at Michigan State. Peter has been running their adaptive rec program at Michigan State for, for years, and he was one of the individuals that I learned from as well. And then you've got, you know, the entire University of Illinois, you've got Alabama, you've got Arizona. You know, yep. these are sort of the, the blue bloods of parasport and the collegiate space. And folks like, you know, the, the Doug Garners of the UTA groups, you know, I've, I've learned from lots of people in this space. And so therefore, while we will talk about how we are proud of what we built at Michigan, I certainly want to give credit to others who have been in this game much longer than us, because it is because of their support and their guidance that we've been able to create what we have here. And it's also, it varies based on where you are, right? You have to know the resources that exist to be able to build something. And it's it's sometimes a little bit of luck as well, based on who takes your call, who listens to your email, who actually you know sees something that was online and is moved to then change it. So the easiest way I'd say is you can keep in touch with us directly is, you know, I give my email address out. I, I will not give my assistant director's email out until he asked me to, but my email is just my last name at umich.edu. So O-K-A-N-L-A-M as in Mary, I, at U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. So that's my personal email, and I give it to people all the time. And then we also have our website, which is just umadaptivesports.com. So U-M-A-D-A-P-T-I-V-E-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com. U-M-adaptivesports.com 
There's our website. We've got an about us in there. We've got something you can click to learn more. You've got a place that you can contact us in there as well. So our goal, once again, is not is not to push the Michigan brand across the country. And I, and I want to be clear. While I love Michigan and all that they have provided for us and to give us a home to create this program, this is about much more than the University of Michigan. It's about much more than the state of Michigan. And so please, regardless of what collegiate affiliations you have, don't be scared away by all the maize and blue you see there. We truly are, are, are the red, white, and blue is what we're trying to create. And even beyond that, because I say red, white, and blue, we are about to go to DC tomorrow because we're part of the Global Sports Mentoring Program. And our mentee who just came in from Latvia is going to be pre- presenting his, his action plan tomorrow. And so part of the work we're also doing is international to then support individuals in creating adaptive sports programs and creating access and opportunity all around the globe. So that's a, a, a little piece of Eli right there. And the, and the impact that we're still hoping to make is making sure that no matter what your zip code, no matter your area code or your race, ethnicity, that you will have access to sport and fitness everywhere. Well, and that's that's evident, Dr. O, if if Michigan State can share with you, <laughs> it's not just all about University of Michigan, right? If, exactly. If that, if that can happen, anything can happen. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being my guest today. Appreciate it. No, Sean, thank you for your time. And thank you for everything that you all are doing at Move United. Truly having a, a leader in this space like Move United to pull all of the resources together, to pull all of the organizations together and try to create this system where everyone has access. You know, it, it takes a leader like this to make that happen. So we we tip our hats to you at Move United and look forward to joining you all down in Louisville in a couple of weeks. 